0: We are in Acts chapter 19 now in our journey through the book of Acts and this is Paul's third missionary journey where he's reached the city of Ephesus on the west coast of of modern day Turkey and he spends a good amount of time there reasoning and persuading and teaching the people of Ephesus about the kingdom of God. I've always found it um, really faith building to kind of not just treat the Bible, you know, as as Text, but to also um, to also make myself remember that it's actually still the current modern world as well. So when uh, in later on in Acts chapter nineteen, where Luke writes about the theatre in Ephesus, on screen now is a picture, a modern picture of the theatre in Ephesus. That's that's the twenty five thousand seat theatre that's still there with a blue modern crane behind it these days, with people working and visiting it now. And it's the exact same theater that twenty five thousand people piled into in Acts chapter nineteen and tried to cause a riot against the word of God being preached. And um, it's always I always find it faith building to remind myself that actually you know books like this, the Book of Acts, it's history. It's actual history that happened, and where Luke was writing it, he's written down places and names, and this is stuff that happened in in our. On our planet, um, so be built up in faith. But as we look at these historical facts of things that actually happened in those days, and God still moves, and the Spirit of God still moves actively in these days as well. It's not just for, it's not just for then. It's for now as well. And we're going to talk a lot about the Spirit of God moving in the next few minutes. So, just as a way of an intro. Um, into Acts chapter nineteen. Here at Kings, on our joining the church course, uh, where people arrive at the church and look into the theology, you know how we how we interpret the Bible and our our important theologies and so on. We kind of have this thing on the journey, uh, the joining the church course, where we talk about our theology being written in blood, or written in ink, or written in pencil, and. Um, Things that are written in blood, for example, as you can see on the screen now, so you know, fundamental to what we believe. And if you were to actually take this thing away from what we believe, then it's an entirely different gospel and there isn't another gospel at all, as Paul says in Galatians. But written in blood for us, absolutely foundational would be that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, we're saved by the grace of God and that Jesus lived a perfect life on earth and he died on our behalf, was crucified on the cross and was raised to life again and ascended to be with the Father and that the wrath of God had to be poured out on Jesus in order for us to be able to come into relationship with God and that Jesus willingly laid down his own life, as it says in John chapter 10. He has authority to lay down his own life and he has authority to pick it up again and he did it willingly. And fundamental to what we believe at Kings is that Jesus lived and died and was raised to life again and paid the price for our sin on our behalf so that we can be in relationship with God. And because Jesus lives, we live as it says in John chapter 14. And we hold to that and we will always hold to that and we will never move away from the fact that we're saved by the grace of God and we're saved through faith in Jesus and it's not by works. So we'd we'd say for us that's written, metaphorically that's written in blood and that's just who we are. And then other things written in ink. So for example, water baptism, which is vitally important to us and it's one of the things that I'll talk about in these next few minutes from Acts chapter 19 vitally important to us, but it's not an issue of salvation. It's not an issue where if you're not baptised, you can't be saved. The thief on the cross was saved, clearly, and obviously not baptised because he was on the cross about to die. So you can be saved without being baptised. But we would hold to the truth being that the Bible teaches that actually believers should be baptised in water. So we would hold to Putting in ink, you know, important to us is that people, members of King's Church, are baptised in water. Another written in ink kind of kind of thing would be Calvinism and Arminianism. You know, husband and wife, for example, could differ entirely on whether they're Calvinist or Arminian. And if you haven't el- if you haven't ever delved into this at all, then Enjoy having never delved into this at all. That's absolutely fine, and as part of the some of the ink things, you know, we can kind of be happily oblivious to. But it might be that five point Calvinism to you is something that you really want to grapple with, and you might land as a Calvinist, or you might land as an Arminian, and it's fine to land either way. And who knows? Actually, who knows? Whether either of those, either of those theologies and teachings are entirely accurate or not, and we'll probably never know this side of eternity, and we may not even know then. Um, they're important things. I'm not belittling, not belittling that these things that we hold to and grapple with are important. They're really important. But things like Calvinism and Arminianism, again, it's not an issue of salvation. And there, then there are things written in pencil. And I put here old Earth versus young Earth, and and actually even in talking of blood and pencil, which is the way we talk here at Kings, for me for me personally, you could almost put these things into five categories and not three. So there's blood, which is vital, and it's salvation or not, and it's the gospel or not, and then there's probably layers of pencil, really, where you know some things are just more important to grapple with than others it probably isn't actually just a kind of three layer thing there's probably more than that i guess maybe just thinking off the top of my head it could be kind of or i might think of it in terms of like um doing a degree where you get a first class degree a second class degree that's split into two one and two two higher and lower band and then third class and so on so maybe there's some kind of two one and two two ink kind of things But the reason I've put old earth versus young earth in pencil, and again, some people will be absolutely, you know, they devote their lives to, and you may be one of the people that devotes a lot of your life into working out. Is the earth 6,000 years old and is the Bible literally talking in those terms? Or is the earth 14 billion years old? And is the Bible not literally talking in terms of actual time? Um, And those are things, the reason I've put that in pencil here is that, again, it's really important. And it can be really important to people. And these are some of the things that I've grappled with and still grapple with. But we can easily reverse our position on pencil things. So I remember uh, hearing R.C. Sproul say that he had changed his position, reversed his position on old Earth and young Earth when he'd read Douglas F. Kelly's book, Creation and Change, I think it was. Um, And R.C. Sproul had thought one thing and then reversed his position, having been convinced by someone you know, that actually it was the opposite to what you thought. So the pencil things are important, but they can be literally reversed without anything changing or without any problems occurring. Blood issues. You can't change any of that without it not being the gospel anymore, basically. And in Acts, Acts chapter 19, some of the things we'll be talking about today are things that we hold written in ink, basically. So let's look at Acts chapter 19 and we're going to go through the first 11 verses of it today. Luke writes this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, "John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus." On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The first the first few verses of that chapter bring up, just the way it's written, some interesting questions. So I just want to go into some of the theology or some of the, you know, kind of, Reason and persuasion, as, as Paul says, um, or as Luke wrote, that Paul said in, in, that, um, in that chapter. So, John's baptism is it different to what we would call believer's baptism? Because it kind of looks like the way those first few verses are phrased that it might be different. Well, John's baptism looked forwards to Jesus' death and resurrection, obviously. And what we would call believer's baptism, you know, or Christian baptism, that looks back on Jesus' death and resurrection. John's baptism actually preached the same doctrine, the same word, the same promise, and the same repentance as when we are baptized in water today. Jesus himself affirmed John's baptism in Matthew 3, chapter, uh, in Matthew 3 verse 15. And there's nowhere, importantly, there's nowhere in Scripture that it negates John's baptism. There's nowhere that it says it's inferior to you know, Christian baptism today. It was just done before Jesus died and was raised to life and and before the Holy Spirit had been, had been sent. In John chapter one, verse 33, it clearly says that John the Baptist is the minister of the baptism. He's the one that actually performs the baptism, but God is the author of it. So even back then when John was baptizing, it was God who was the author of that baptism, the same as it's God who's the author of the baptism, when we are baptized in water today. There's an interesting, there's an interesting verse in um, chapter 19, verse 5, where it looks like Paul rebaptized the disciples in Ephesus. It seems like that. So did that happen? No. I'm pretty sure no. Paul didn't rebaptize anyone, even though it looks like, from the phrasing that he did. Reasons being these, and again, you know, you don't need to get you don't need to get hung up on any of this, but just so we've got a proper exegesis of the text and a proper walk through some of these verses. So, looking at the Greek text, which I won't go into detail of now, but I did a, a, a big delve into the Greek text and the way it's been written and the way it's been interpreted and so on. Um, there's a strange, there's a strange verse here, in or a strange, a strange phrase in uh, verse five where. After Paul has asked if they were baptized or if they knew the Holy Spirit, they said, no, they've been baptized with John's baptism. Where Paul then, where it says here, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It looks like Paul rebaptized them. Um, long story short, studying the Greek, it's not saying that Paul rebaptized them at, at all. It's basically Paul talking about John's baptism and saying that they were baptized in the name of Jesus through John's baptism, um, it's it's Paul talking about it. It's not Luke actually saying. On hearing this, they were baptized again by Paul. Um, you can delve into the Greek if you want to. Um, I did, and you don't need to, but feel free if you want to um, for full, you know, theological enjoyment. Um, but even if, even if I'm wrong, let's say I'm wrong, and it's still, uh, and and the Greek doesn't look, doesn't look like it's saying what it's saying. Even if that's the case, let's kind of study the text or study the the, the wider text. In one Corinthians, Paul said that you baptized Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanas, and he says beyond that, I do not know if I baptized anyone else. Well, if he had rebaptized twelve Ephesian new disciples. Twelve Ephesian disciples. If he had rebaptized them, he would remember it. If he remembered that he baptized Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanas, he would also have then said, "Oh, and I rebaptized these twelve Ephesians." Particularly as he probably wrote the letter of um, the letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus, he would have known. He would have remembered that he'd recently rebaptized people. So. There's there's no way that you can really study the wider text and come to the conclusion that Paul rebaptized anyone. I don't think. Again, it's not it's not vital. It's not written in blood. It's not even particularly written in ink. Um, although rebaptism would be an important thing that we wouldn't do here at Kings. Wouldn't rebaptize anyone because you only need to be baptized in water once. Um, and on that note. Why are we baptized in water? Well, baptism illustrates the believers identification with Christ in his death, in his burial and his resurrection, as it says in Romans chapter 6, and new life and unity with other believers, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's an important thing that we do. And at Kings, as I mentioned, water baptism for us is something written in ink. It's not blood because it's not an issue of salvation or not, but it's an important sacrament that we hold as highly, highly important here. And it shows obedience to Jesus and obedience to scripture, obedience to teaching. And for me, one of the most important things about baptism or one of the most important reasons to be baptized is it's us as believers willingly saying, we want to identify with this family. We want to be part of this family, the family of believers. You know, I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ and I want to identify as part of the body of Christ. My surname's Cooper and I've got three children. And obviously their surname is Cooper because they're part of my family. And when we're baptised in the name of Jesus, we're baptised into the name of Jesus. So my kids are Coopers. My son is a Cooper, I'm a Cooper. If I was to adopt a new child with my wife, then that child would become a Cooper and would become part of the Cooper family and be brought into the name of Cooper. And that's vitally important. So when, when we as believers say, I want to be baptized, We're saying, I want to be baptized into the name of Jesus. I want to be known to be part of this body, part of this family, and identify as adopted children of God as part of that family. And that's one of the main reasons we would hold it as really important and a really important step to become identified into the name of Jesus. Not forgetting, it doesn't save anyone. Baptism does not save anyone. And in Acts chapter eight and in Acts chapter 19, there's an order which is repentance, water baptism, and then Holy Spirit baptism in both those chapters. So in, in Samaria with Philip, there's repentance, there's water baptism, there's Holy Spirit baptism. The same here in Acts chapter 19. So these Ephesian disciples have become believers. They've been baptized into John's baptism. It wouldn't have been by John because it would have been a different part of the country and it would have been three or four decades after John. So it wasn't, they wouldn't have been baptized by John the Baptist, but just baptized into, you know, using that method of baptism. And then in Acts chapter 19, here the Holy Spirit falls. Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit falls and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Just as an aside, the Holy Spirit falls on people before water baptism. And Peter says, can anything stop these people getting baptized now? Because the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. So there is an order, but it's God's order. And the Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God does. So we can't say it's always like this, because it isn't always like this. It's God moving how God chooses to move. And at Kings, something else that we would hold as... Very, very important to us is that believing Christians are sealed with the Spirit. So when you become a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, imparted into you, you know, indwelling in you. And we would hold to the fact that there is also a clear baptism by the Spirit. So believing Christians have the Spirit, have the Spirit of God, and it says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit. So, you know, as soon as you hold to the fact that, yes, Jesus is God, I've given my life to Jesus, I've repented and put my faith in him, Paul says you can't even say that unless you have the Spirit of God, unless it's by the Spirit of God, you can't even, you can't even say that that's the case. So definitely we would hold that the, the Spirit of God indwells believing Christians. We're sealed with the Spirit. And there's a clear baptism in the Spirit where the Holy Spirit falls and fills and does His work as well. So in Ephesians chapter one, where it clearly says, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and we all have that as believers. But also, or and also, note the present tense in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. This means keep being filled. So where Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, be filled, and then be filled again, and then be filled again, and then be filled again. Don't let you know, don't depend on alcohol to get you through the storms of life. Don't depend, you know, don't get drunk, but be filled with the spirit. You know, when life bumps up against you and things get tough, what's the thing that's going to help you get through that? What's the thing that's going to really enable you to overcome the problems? It's not going to be Getting drunk, it's going to be being filled with the Spirit. That's the thing which, you know, be filled and then be filled again and then be filled again. And these are the things that lead to or or go hand in hand with joy. As it says there in Acts chapter 13, and the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And the two go together. Um, Stephen, um, it says, as Stephen was getting stoned to death, it says, Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about Barnabas um, being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. It, it's the Spirit of God living in us and filling us and refilling and refilling, which enables us to take these steps on the journey that we're on, of faith. And and it isn't it isn't only that we have the Spirit of God when we become Christians. But we need to be filled by the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, filled again and filled again and filled again and filled again. And probably at this point you've realized, and if you've been to Kings before, hopefully you will have seen and experienced this, but we, we'd be what you would call continuationist here at Kings in that we believe that the sign gifts, so miracles and prophecy, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues and so on, they didn't cease with the death of the apostles and the conclusion of the New Testament being written, but actually there for today as well. You know, just as I said at the beginning, just as Ephesus, you know, the theatre in Ephesus was a place then with 25,000 people filling it, it's still a place today, you know, with people walking through it and cranes doing work on it. It's, it's the same thing. Um, and we would see, we would hold very, very, important to us that miracles, prophecy, words of knowledge, the sign gifts are for today as much as they were for then as well. There's a difference between the fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. So fruits of the Spirit would be, for example, in Isaiah chapter 11, the Spirit's presence results in wisdom, understanding, strength, and fear of God. And Paul talks in Galatians about the Holy Spirit, his sanctifying work in the believer yields the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Again, as believers with the Holy Spirit living in us, the fruits of that Spirit are these things. That's you know that's who we are. That's who we can be now. And then the gifts of the Spirit are exactly what they say. Gifts. They're gifts of the Spirit that God chooses to give to people as. As he chooses to give to us. For example, speaking in tongues. And that's kind of a big, that's one of the big dividing factors between continuationists and cessationists. So people that would say, no, the sign gifts ended with the death of the apostles and the end of the New Testament being written. That's what cessationists would say. Continuationists like us would say, no, those things carry on today. So, tongues, speaking in tongues, Xenolalia can be the gift of actual languages that need interpretation. So it might be that someone who is a native Spanish speaker who doesn't speak English suddenly starts speaking in English because English speaking people need to hear it. For example, there's been one time in my life um, where I honestly believe suddenly I started speaking loudly I don't know what the language was but it was some kind of mandarin dialect some kind of mandarin chinese uh or, or taiwanese dialect language and um i was in canada i was in vancouver and been playing guitar at a conference for a few days and uh, it was probably 15 years ago or thereabouts and suddenly suddenly i started speaking the spirit of god fell and i started speaking I'm sure it was an actual language. So it wasn't, you know, it it wasn't a language between me and God in terms of, um, you know, my spirit kind of, which we'll get into in a minute, different kind of tongues. Um, So hold that thought. Uh, It wasn't that kind of tongue. It was literally language. and It can only have been a language because I just knew it was a language. I'd suddenly started speaking. All the people around me, you know, my bandmates that I was with were kind of half laughing at me and half amazed that I was suddenly speaking a different language and I did this for probably three days and I kept just talking really loudly in Mandarin I think it was yeah some kind of Mandarin uh, dialect and I remember crossing from Vancouver to Toronto in a plane and I was talking really loudly in in this language and I can only I I think I can only assume that within earshot of me for that two or three day period talking really loudly in this language that I didn't understand, there would have been people that understood it. And I imagine I was probably preaching the gospel in their language as they were listening to me on the plane or in a shopping centre or wherever it was. I've no idea what the language was, but it was definitely a language, a human known language, just unknown by me. And I think after that flight from Vancouver to Toronto, I never did it again. And I couldn't do it again if I tried. I couldn't even begin to make it up now if I tried. There's nothing I could have learned or could reproduce. It just happened. And a lot of the times when tongues are spoken in the Bible, it's known languages that God gifts people that don't know them, like he did with me. Once, for me, you know, here's a language you don't know, but somebody needs to hear it, so speak it, and that person can interpret it. That would be xenolalia. And that's one form of speaking in tongues, and I, possibly we don't see that too often. That, the only time I've ever experienced it was that one time, probably 15 years ago, but it's still for today. Um, and even preparing this and saying it now, I'm kind of thinking it's still for today, not just for 15 years ago. Um, the, other, the other way that tongues can manifest or the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues is that it's it's a language that is a gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to speak to God in an unknown in, in an unknown language so a language which isn't known by humans um, and if you've been to our church, you will have heard people talking in tongues and that'd be called or or the term is glossolalia where it's um I've heard it be called um an ecstatic language you know. And I I hear it called an ecstatic language often in kind of derogatory terms, in terms of, I've heard people call it gibberish, Christians call it gibberish, and um, it's not, because we would hold very strongly to the fact that actually, no, the Holy Spirit, God gives us the gift of talking in tongues, speaking in tongues, which might sound like gibberish to us, but it's a way of our own spirit speaking to God and speaking you know, speaking what he's given us to speak. And it doesn't sound like a human language like Spanish or English or Italian, but it's a language that the Holy Spirit gifts us as he sees fit and we speak. And one of the things that I, one of the important things I wanted to mention is you can be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues. Paul's very clear, you know, do all speak in tongues? No, not all speak in tongues. And he actually, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, actually, the gift of prophecy is more important or, you know, he said, I'd rather you prophesy than spoke in tongues because the gift of prophecy is something which, you know, you can really hear God speaking to people through. So, you know, not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody that's baptized in the Spirit speaks in tongues. And you can be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues. So if if you are someone who is kind of fairly, fairly sure you're filled with the Spirit, but you don't speak in tongues, try not to worry about that. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit, and he may have just not gifted you with speaking in tongues. That does not mean you're not baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And it definitely does not mean you aren't a Christian, because if you're a Christian and you've said Jesus is Lord, that can only be by the Spirit. And you'll be displaying the uh, the fruits of the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit chooses to gift you in a certain way by speaking in tongues or speaking prophecy or word of knowledge, fantastic. But you don't have to speak in tongues if you're baptised. the Spirit. And on that note, let me just say this, miracles validate the presence of the Holy Spirit like they do later on in Acts chapter 19, which I'm not going to get into today. There's lots of miracles that happen onwards in Acts chapter 19. Miracles validate the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the absence of miracles doesn't mean the absence of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully that's become apparent in the past few minutes from talking about fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. We would all, we all want to see the miraculous happening and we believe it is for today and we've seen miracles happening today. Sam, my brother-in-law who's filming this, standing behind the camera was saying this morning um, that he prayed for someone's back to be healed and the back was healed two weeks ago. And that happened and it still happens and miracles validate the presence of the Holy Spirit. If that person wasn't healed, it doesn't mean the absence of the Holy Spirit. It just means that that person hasn't been healed today. Ephesus was a place where where there were magicians, there were mediums, the occult was practiced, there were dozens of gods and goddesses worshipped in Ephesus. The supernatural and the paranormal was, was more normal there, basically. Um, and actually, it says in Acts chapter 19 on into part of it that we're not going to look at today in terms of the text, but, you know, it says that God worked extraordinary miracles through Paul. It's like, these aren't normal miracles. These aren't the kind of magic and divination that you usually see. These are different things. This is God moving. So the supernatural wasn't out of place at all. But one thing that's key in in the early chapters, in the early verses of uh, Acts chapter 19 that we, we looked at earlier, was that Paul reasoned and persuaded about the kingdom of God, You know, it was truth that Paul was delivering to these people. Miracles weren't out of place. So, Paul, or God through Paul, did extraordinary miracles because he, you know, to show that he was more powerful than their magicians. But it was truth. Where Paul spends a couple of years reasoning and persuading, and reasoning and persuading, and teaching and studying, and teaching and persuading, and reasoning and persuading, with the people of Ephesus, where it says, you know, in the end they'd all heard the truth, they'd all heard the gospel because of Paul's reasoning and persuading. And the outcome, in Acts chapter nineteen verse twenty, is the outcome is the word of the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And actually, all these miracles that God worked, they were really to back up the truth of Paul reasoning and persuading with people Look, this, this is true. Jesus, Jesus is real. Jesus is the Messiah. You know, the Word of God is alive. And this is the truth. It says in Ephesians uh, chapter six, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I think sometimes we can get, we take the first bit of that phrase, the sword of the spirit, and, and we sort of separate it from being the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's actually the reasoning and persuading that Paul did about the kingdom of God from the word of God. That's the thing which then sets apart the magicians and the diviners in Ephesus studying you know, and worshipping their pagan gods and actually, no, no, no. The sword of the spirit these miracles, these extraordinary works of power, these are being done by God, who is God, and Jesus is God. And it's reasoning and persuading for a lot of us from the word of God, which is really important in terms of actually showing, showing the truth to people. I was um, earlier this year at a back and forth for a long, long time with some Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, in, in my town, and um, we went back and forth with each other, and they were happy to go back and forth with me if you've, if you studied um, I kind of did a study of jehovah 's witness um, practices at that time, just so I could figure out exactly exactly what they believed, so I did a lot of study in, in into what jehovah's witnesses believe at the time and um, if you've ever wondered why Jehovah's Witnesses walk so slowly, if you see Jehovah's Witnesses walking up and down your street, they walk very slowly from one house to the next and very slowly from one house to the next. They're actually, their works, part of their works are based on how much time they spend preaching their, their, their truth. Um, so it's not actually how many people they preach to, it's how much time do you spend preaching. So actually, the the two Jehovah's Witnesses that I got involved in a back and forth for a long time with was good because they were happy to spend time speaking to me because it actually didn't matter to them whether they preached to a thousand people or only to me. They were happy to spend all their time with me, which was good for me because it meant I could go back and forth reasoning and persuading them from the Word of God. And um, we went back and forth for a long time. Well, I would say what I thought, and they'd come back to me with basically, no, we don't believe that Jesus is God because, and they'd quote their New World Translation to me and so on. And I'd go back with, you know, from the ESV or NIV or King James, you know, and, and kind of say, no, 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 look, this is what the truth said. This is what the Word of God says. And they'd come back to me with um, New World Translation, no, Jesus isn't God because. And we went back and forth for a long time, reasoning, persuading. And in the final communication I had with them, I, I um, so they, Jehovah's Witnesses are told not to trust anything other really than JW.org, their website. Um, and Sam at this point isn't going to put a link to that website on the screen <laughs> by accident. Um, so Jehovah's Witnesses are told really to only trust what they're told. To trust. So JW.org is the website that they are told to trust. And the New World Translation is the translation they're told to trust and anything else is a lie as far as they're told. And um, so I did some study and I, I, my final reason and persuasion with them, with these two, and they were lovely people. They were very respectful and we went back and forth. You know, really, my heart went out to them and still does. I still pray for those two people. Um, but I went to them and said, look, your New World Translation, if you look at John chapter 12 and referencing Isaiah chapter 6, and if you then read your Isaiah chapter 6 from New World Translation, I said, if you take, take John's Gospel and referencing Isaiah 6 in your New World Translation that you're told is the truth, it's talking about Jesus and it's saying Jesus is God. And let me reason with you and try and persuade you that your translation actually says Jesus is God. Your Bible says Jesus is Almighty God. And a few days later, they came back to me and and basically just said, we've really enjoyed talking to you, and I think we're just going to part ways now and, you know, agree to disagree, which was a shame, and I still pray for them. But the reason I've told that story is, actually, it's the reason and persuasion that Paul went into Ephesus with, yes, there were miracles, and the Holy Spirit fell and there's baptism in the Holy Spirit and filling in the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and so on. And as well as that, reasoning and persuading from the Word of God, that's the sword of the Spirit. That's the thing that can cut through. And I pray with those two Jehovah's Witnesses that my reasoning and persuading from the Word of God will be the sword of the Spirit that cuts through the lies that they've been told and that it untangles it. Um, and I still pray. you know, I. I I know the street they live in and I walk up that street and I pray for them. And I pray that, you know, that through reason and persuasion, their eyes will be open to the truth. Because uh, as Jesus said, as Jesus himself said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And just in these kind of three things that I've talked about in this time, you know, water baptism, we would see as very an important sacrament at kings written in ink and very important to us at being at identifying with you know I want to be in the name of Jesus I want to be baptized into this body of believers and there's a very clear baptism of the holy spirit and a filling of the holy spirit and a refilling of the holy spirit and a refilling of the holy spirit and spiritual gifts which are for today and even as I've been talking, I've been thinking to myself, I want to see more of these things today because it proves or it, you know, it, it, it backs up that God is true and that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's the truth. And, and actually to be able to say to people, no, 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 this is, this is the truth that we're talking about. This is absolute truth that we're talking about. From Ephesians six, from two Timothy three, you know where it says all Scripture is God breathed and you know it's all true. Um, and really, I just want to finish this this talk by just saying, if you haven't been baptized in water, delve into the Scriptures about baptism, and I hope you come to the conclusion that actually the New Testament, when when we study it, it teaches us. That full immersion, water baptism is an important sacrament that we need, we need to be obedient to. And that there is a clear baptism in the Holy Spirit and a filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you're baptised in the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues, give yourself a break. Because it's a gift that God chooses to give, gift of tongues, or he chooses not to. And it doesn't mean that you're not baptised in the Spirit if you don't talk in tongues. And that the word of God is the thing that can cut through. The truth can cut through lies and cut through anything and, you know, outdo. That's the wrong word, but, you know, it, it, it can outdo pagan gods like that because it's the truth and it's the truth that sets people free.